You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in our last lecture, we began our new series on 1 Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul's pastoral letter to Timothy as a bishop, an evangelical bishop, one who is not to be a quote-unquote teacher of the law, as we talked about last time, but instead one who is to oversee the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. The good news that for the sake of Jesus, sins are forgiven, that we found favor with the Father. And this is why Paul says in 1 Timothy that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let's go ahead and start at verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia... Remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. As you recall in our conversation last time, we discuss this emphasis of doctrine. Doctrine does not divide. False doctrine divides. True doctrine, apostolic doctrine, unites. And it's focused on the person and work of Christ, proclaiming and revealing the divine trinity, the holy trinity, that there is one God in divine essence, and there's a plurality of persons, a trinity in unity and a unity in trinity. Now, when we talk about this stewardship from God, well, typically when we understand in the text God, we're immediately going to understand the divine essence. However, within the context, it might be that Paul or whoever the author is, Moses or whoever one of the prophets are that's writing, is trying to teach us to make a distinction in the plurality of persons of the Holy Trinity. So, for instance, when Paul opened up this letter, he teaches us this distinction in this way, saying, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That again, here we see this distinction, and here we see the unique uh, word God being used for the person of the Father. So that's how he opened this letter, making the distinction between the Father and the Son. Now, of course, you might say, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, understand that every time the apostle is preaching the gospel, the message of God, the word of God, being sent by Jesus as one who is to be the voice of God, speaking God's word, the Holy Spirit is there given through the word that is proclaimed, the word that's preached in this written word, and thus any written word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this written word of Paul, as he speaks about the Father, 
God the Father, and our Lord, Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the one who is inspiring the written word of God. This is unique to the role of the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, that he is the one who inspires the prophetic writing in the apostolic doctrine that we have here in the written text. We say that this is God-breathed. Now, where is the Holy Spirit in particular in this letter to Timothy? Well, we see this uniquely in chapter 4, where now we have a distinction between the Word of God coming from God, inspired by the Holy Spirit as holy and true doctrine, that is true teaching, apostolic, in opposition to false teaching or false doctrine that divides, that different doctrine. So if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, this is where we say, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now again, as we said before, we're using the English Standard Version a translation of the text. Now, notice that it, it refers to this as the teaching of demons, or the teachings in the plural of demons. These teachings of demons is the doctrines of demons. So, any different doctrine, rather than what the apostolic doctrine is, focusing on the person and work of, of Jesus, comes from the demons, the unclean spirits, the unholy spirits. So, this is in contrast with the Holy Spirit that gives to us the God-breathed Word, the Scriptures, so we can be certain and sure what God has revealed in the knowledge of salvation through the words of the prophets and the apostles, the written Word, so we can be certain and sure that we are listening to, that we are learning the apostolic doctrine. On the contrary, the doctrines of demons, these divide people one from another and separate people from the true God. So in 1 Timothy, in particular, we'll notice that in chapter 4. Now, we're not there yet, of course. We, <laughs> we still got quite a ways to go in chapter 1. But I, I want you to see this already, that that's the Holy Spirit giving to us this true doctrine, the apostolic doctrine that is centered in the person and work of Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now again, going back to the opening of chapter 1 in this letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we see Paul saying, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, and of course, the Holy Spirit is inspiring these words of Paul. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals to us this knowledge of salvation, teaching us about the Father sending forth the Son. Now, it should also be noted that this letter is written to the baptized in Ephesus. So we talked about this a little bit last time, but let's look in particular at Acts chapter 20 because this is where things are kind of going a little strange in Ephesus. So already in Acts chapter 20, dropping down to about verse 28, according to the ESV, Paul is addressing the elders from Ephesus. And Paul says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
Of course, that's ESV. That's bishops. Now, again, just a side note, this is what we're talking about in 1 Timothy, that Timothy is an overseer, a bishop, to oversee the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of the apostolic doctrine. And so going back to Acts chapter 20, again, it's the Holy Spirit. Here's the Holy Spirit working in the life of the church, calling men into this ministry, placing men into this apostolic preaching office. So that from the time of the apostles, throughout the ages, we have successors to the apostles in this preaching office, where the Holy Spirit is at work in the man placed there to proclaim God's word. The Holy Spirit comes with that word. So the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, Paul says, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, again, now notice here that it's the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now, here the reference, of course, is going to be to Jesus. For the Father did not become man. The Father did not die upon the cross and shed his blood. The Holy Spirit did not become man. The Holy Spirit did not die upon the cross to shed his own blood. Only the Son did. So notice here you have the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Of course, the second person of the Holy Trinity is true God. At the same time, he is true man. Now, Paul goes on and says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now again, that's Acts chapter 20. And notice that Paul's concern here is about this, this new teaching, this different doctrine that's not of the apostles. It's not of one voice with what the apostle Paul has been proclaiming, with what all of the apostles sent out by Jesus have proclaimed since the day of the resurrection and the ascension. So again, notice here the role of the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the blessed Holy Trinity. He's the one who inspires the written word of the apostles and, of course, the prophets. He gives us that word so that we can be certain and sure that this is the apostolic doctrine, that this is the teaching that is from God, that is centered in the person and work of the Son who came to save sinners. Now, in the contrast, of course, there's going to be the doctrines of demons who are trying to lead people astray and away from God's word, just like they did during the times of the Old Testament. So that's the contrast here. The Holy Spirit is working in the lives of the apostles to proclaim this apostolic teaching. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit actively involved in the inspiration of Scripture, the written word. So that this teaching, the doctrine of the apostles, can be kept pure from generation to generation. So that you can be sure and certain that the preacher who's currently teaching is saying the same thing in unison of voice with the apostles and with the prophets of old. So the Holy Spirit inspires the writing of the scriptures. God breathed so that we know that it is inerrant, infallible, it is God's word to be heard. In contrast, the doctrines of demons, these are, these are emotional, imaginational thoughts and ideas and concepts that come with the winds of change. 
But notice that Paul is specifically talking to the elders in Ephesus. Again, there's something going on in Ephesus. In fact, he writes an entire epistle to the baptized in Ephesus, so that not only the preachers, but all the hearers can be certain and sure that the man in the preaching office right now is proclaiming the same thing, that through his mouth you hear the voice of Jesus. And so in that letter to the baptized in Ephesus, notice that Paul opens up with these words in Ephesians chapter 1, saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So now you see this distinction being made between the person of the Father, referred to as God, the person of the Son, referred to as Christ Jesus, because he's the one who was anointed by the Holy Spirit according to his human nature, and of course, who is Jesus by birth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, given the name Jesus, the boy of joy, born in Bethlehem, the one who will save us from our sins. And so Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now again, that's how Paul opens up his letter to the Ephesians. But notice that it's in that same chapter in Ephesians, chapter 1, you drop down to verse 13. In particular, Paul immediately then talks about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Now again, the him here is referencing to Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity. So in him, in Christ, being baptized into Christ, being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you've been united in the death of Christ. You've been united in the resurrection of Christ. And here Paul says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here's the personal work of the Holy Spirit here. Just like when Jesus was baptized at the Jordan and the voice of the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He is marked with the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Well, so too, when we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the baptized. That the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit continues to be poured out upon us in the gifts, in the plural of the Holy Spirit, as we continue to grow in our faith and walk in newness of life. Now, notice that, again, that's what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 1, and he even goes on and says this about the role of the Holy Spirit at verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Again, that's Ephesians chapter 1, and notice you have that distinction between the Father of glory, referred to as God, the Son, 
who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Yahweh. And you have the Holy Spirit, that the Father would continue to give the Holy Spirit. So as the baptized, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is continually poured out upon us. The one who provides us with wisdom, spiritual wisdom that comes from God. The one who provides us this revelation, the revealed knowledge of salvation found only in Jesus. That the Holy Spirit continues to work with the gifts of the Spirit to strengthen us in these days. Now let's look at uh, Revelation chapter 2. Again, we alluded to that last lecture where again we look at Ephesus. It's in chapter 2 where you have this message saying to the angel, that's the messenger, the church, the pastor, the preacher there in Ephesus, write this. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Now, again, before we get too far, notice that this is Jesus that is speaking. He is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. Now, of course, John tells us in chapter one of the Revelation that the seven stars are the seven messengers of the seven churches, for the seven lampstands are the seven churches. But this is Jesus who's speaking. This is Jesus who is proclaiming. This is the word that is to be heard. And notice how it ends on this note by saying, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this is the role of the Holy Spirit. Again, in the proclamation of that word of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the preaching of Jesus, the voice of Jesus, where the Holy Spirit is given where the Holy Spirit is active in these apostolic words. It is the word of God. The apostles are acting as a mouthpiece of God. This written word assures us that this is Jesus speaking, that this is the Holy Spirit who is working in this word, giving us ears to hear, eyes to see, and of course, hearts to believe. Now, let's go all the way back to 1 Timothy, <laughs> as we originally intend to do. But I want you to see this background and connection with Ephesus, and I want you to see this background connection with how the Holy Spirit works in the background, if you will. Kind of behind the scenes, the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals to us the knowledge of salvation by showing forth the will of the Father who loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son, so that you would see the sending forth of the Son from the Father. Now, it is this message, this apostolic doctrine that is to be proclaimed. And that's why Timothy was left in Ephesus as an evangelical bishop, one who is to oversee this teaching and preaching. And so that's why Paul says, I charge you with this. I charge you that you make sure that they don't teach a different doctrine, not of the apostles and not of the Holy Spirit, but rather the doctrines of demons that divides the people of God separates the people of God from God and from one another. For it is sin that separates. 
It is God's word that unites and brings back together. So it's a false teaching. It's a false gospel by false messengers, false messages. It is this idea that you can earn your way before God, that you can merit favor with God by your works, and it's not a free gift. That's contrary to the apostolic teaching of favor for the sake of Jesus as a free gift from God. This is grace. Or this false gospel, this different teaching, is stealing glory and honor from Christ, saying that it's not by the blood of Jesus. It's not by his atoning sacrifice. It's not because of Jesus that we have mercy. But instead, this is something that you do to merit and to work your way before the Father. Or, of course, it's going to rob consciences of peace. That's what false doctrine does. That's what a different message brings. It messes up the conscience. It troubles the heart and confuses it. But with Jesus, you have peace. But this is precisely what Paul was giving to Timothy at the beginning of his letter when he says, grace, mercy, and peace. Tying the grace, the favor with the Father, to the peace in the conscience being justified by faith with the person and work of Jesus bringing mercy. We can't make God merciful. Any attempt that we have to merit God's mercy is idolatry. It is a false teaching and it is a false worship. So this is why Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus to make sure that this doesn't happen that they would not devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies talking about other things instead of the central doctrine, the person and work of Christ, how we are justified for his sake. As a gift, we receive this by faith. And so these empty, useless things, they don't proclaim the gospel. And so Paul's just giving these as examples of, of these unending questions. I mean, you just keep going on and on and speculating, and it just brings doubt and despair. Such empty and useless things do not promote the order by God that is by faith, meaning justifying faith in Jesus. Instead, such empty teachings lead to speculations and uncertainty. Now, again, we said the Holy Spirit is at work in the preaching of Paul, in the inspiration of the written word, for posterity's sake. Just like in the days of the Old Testament, under Moses and all the prophets that came after him. The Holy Spirit gives us the gift of the written word so we can have certainty, so we can be sure. Rather than speculating and wondering and contemplating what God might think, Instead, we receive from heaven what God truly reveals to us as his will. He gives to us the knowledge of salvation and the promises that are all fulfilled in Jesus. This is the ordering or the stewardship of God for salvation. It is all centered in the person and work of Jesus. Now let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. So Paul goes on and he says this, The aim of our charge, and remember, before we had the verb, that the charge that what Timothy is supposed to do is to charge others not to teach a different doctrine. But then Paul kind of says, 
Parenthetically, the aim of our charge, including Timothy, including those who are successors to the apostles in the preaching office, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, again, as we discussed last time, a charge is a directive, an authoritative statement. This is what Paul is, by authority, charging Timothy to do, to tell others not to uh, teach a different doctrine. And then this is what Paul and the successors of the apostles have in the preaching office, a charge that the aim is love. Now, notice that that right there is this understanding of love as the fulfilling of the law. Not endless, empty, and useless things like myths and genealogies, but instead the aim of our charge is love. But Paul doesn't stop right there and just say, okay, that's it. It's just love, period. That's the end of the story. He makes this clear what he means by this. Of course, love is the fulfilling of the law. But he says this love of God, this love of others, it's issuing forth from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, these three things, pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Now, this is not just the outward external act of love, of being nice and kind to someone else, but this is a matter of the soul. It's a matter internally of the heart, of the conscience, and of those who have faith. So notice that a pure heart is a heart that has not been corrupted. By nature, of course, we all have this corrupted heart. We are conceived and born in sin, original sin, and our hearts are corrupted. Our hearts are curved in upon ourselves. We are self-serving. We are self-centered. And so God is the one who gives to us a pure heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit through the word. In fact, going back to Ephesians, where Paul's talking to the baptized there, Ephesus, same place, Paul says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, notice how Paul will say this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ dwells within the heart, and he does this through faith, and it is rooted and grounded in love, connecting faith and love. Now, of course, love is not that which gives faith power. A faith is a gift from God. Faith clings in trust in the promise of Christ. All of God's promises are fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Love doesn't give faith its power. It's exactly the opposite. It's this true faith that trusts in God, this heart that has now been purified by the work of the Holy Spirit, trusting in Christ, the Holy Spirit working to bring renewal and regeneration, restoring us, giving to us new thoughts, new words, new desires, new actions. That this is all being justified by faith. We have peace with God. And we begin to live out this newness of life. And so Paul will talk about a pure heart. He will talk about a good conscience. That is a conscience that is synced with God's word. 
Of course, remember that conscience, again, is like an alarm system. It's an instrument that gauges what we do. And it gauges what we do, if it's right or if it's wrong, if it's good or it's bad. But of course, without God's word, the conscience then is cultivated by the culture, the sinful culture of the world. But the conscience that is synced with God's word is taught by God to know what God himself declares as good and evil, what God himself declares as right and wrong. So that conscience is good that is synced with God's word, where the Holy Spirit is at work. And then, of course, the sincere faith. That is justifying faith. That is a living faith that trusts in the person and work of Jesus. So again, notice that what Paul is saying is this apostolic doctrine, this teaching, which is focusing on the person and work of Jesus, gives all glory and honor that's due to him properly. And at the same time, it is going to give peace in the conscience, the conscience that is troubled because in this life, we still have the remnants of sin. With the apostolic doctrine, we have grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.